Well, good morning. <laughs> My name's Scotty. If you don't know me yet, uh, I look forward to getting to know you some more uh, as time goes on. We uh, pre-service prayer this morning, we always take some time at the end of pre-service prayer to ask the question, what is God saying to our church right now? Uh, and one of the things this morning that came up was just the awareness that there's a lot of pain in the room. A lot of people that have loss, grief, hurt, suffering, and so we want to acknowledge that this morning, that we're not here to pretend those things don't exist. Uh, we're here to enter into those things with everybody uh, and ask God to move in the middle of it and to be family together. Um, and whether it's something that happened to you or something that's happened as a result of your actions, we as a church value coming alongside and supporting you in the healing and the recovery um, from all the difficult things that we're facing. One of the difficult things that we're facing in our community uh, is the death of our beloved Ruth Vaughn. Um, and so on Saturday this week, um, 2 to 4 p.m., we're going to be celebrating Ruth's life here. Um, and Bill and Marilyn and Angel and Daryl want to invite you to come and to celebrate Ruth with us. Uh, whether you've known her for many years or whether you've just seen her in passing in the church, everyone at least knows Bill uh, <laughs> and, and knows Ruth. And so, so we want to celebrate with them. And as part of that time, they're going to have uh, some open sharing for people in the room to share uh, a memory or a thought or reflection on Ruth. Um, and so I'd love to just prime you for that. So we'd love to come together as a family, celebrate her life. And if you have something, come uh, give it a little bit of thought and come ready to share an uplifting memory about Ruth. And, and then just remember to give Bill a big hug when you see him uh, and extend your love to him. Bill, we love you uh, and we're sorry for your loss. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let me, let me pray for Bill before we kick off. God, we, uh, we're grieving as a church. I mean, lots of people in this room have lost. Lots of people in this room are suffering, but we just think about the Vaughn family and, and all the extended family. Uh, lots of them, because of health issues and age and conditions, can't get here to celebrate with us. Um, and so we pray for them as they grieve at a distance. But God, we pray for Bill, uh, for your comfort. We thank you that he knows that Ruth is, uh, her life was yours, that she is with Christ and that he will join her. And we celebrate that with him. Um, but God, we grieve alongside him. God, we lost a treasured part of this church who's been here since the very beginning. Um, and what a loss that is. But thank you for the, the uh, reassurance of her salvation her reassurance, reassurance of her eternal state uh, and reassurance that you're the God who comforts us in the middle of our suffering so that we can comfort others. So God, may your blessing uh, and your presence be with Bill and with the family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So yeah, come along. Yeah, and then uh, Daniel talked about uh, the Together 2023 event downtown Portland. If you are free this afternoon, uh, jump downtown. There's so far 135, well, a week ago, 135 churches signed up to come participate in this. So it's going to be awesome. If you can't be there, please join us in prayer because um, Andrew Palau is going to be sharing the gospel while we're down there. So pray that people come to salvation. Um, that's the prayer of our heart. So we're in a series on First Timothy. We're working our way through. We're at a season in the life of our church where we're trying to figure out 
Uh, what is it that we need to become in order to get our training wheels taken off and step into full autonomy again as a church? Um, and so 1 Timothy is a book where Paul is instructing Timothy on what the church needs to look like and instructing him as a young leader in the shape that the church needs to take and the shape that leadership needs to take in order to be what God wants it to be. And so we're working through this letter, uh, understanding together the requirements of us as a church and what a healthy gospel-shaped church looks like. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I'm going to read the first couple of verses, and then I'm going to skip over the widow passage. Didn't Daniel do a great job last week on that? Thank you, Daniel. Um, So we'll skip over that part that he covered, and then we'll talk about the last half of the chapter. So here is 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So Paul says to to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exalt him, exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Skipping on to verse 18. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you're to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Such an interesting passage. There are four calls in this passage that we're going to look at in turn, but I want to start by this overarching call um, for this whole section. It's verses one and two, and we could call this simply the call to mutual respect, um, or we could call it the call to familial respect, and you're going to see uh, two parallel groupings of people that Paul is addressing here. So he's going to talk to Timothy about the older men and how you're going to treat them, and then the younger men and your relationship to them, and then the older women and how you treat them, and the younger women um, and how you're going to treat them. So this simple call in here is that they would be people that live with mutual respect as members of the family. I find this passage fascinating, especially with a lot of what I see in our culture today. Paul is writing to Timothy and trying to get Timothy to lead in a way that's going to earn the respect of the people round about him. Uh, There's lots of instruction that he's just about to give to the general body about the way they're supposed to respect the elder and the pastor put over them. But before he's going to tell the, the people in the church, hey, you're supposed to respect your elders and people in leadership over you, he's making sure Timothy is offering respect to the people that are there. And uh, he's going to, the word in here, we don't need to play around with too much, but he's, he's addressing men and women that are older and men and women that are younger. Um, a couple of things that I think are interesting. We live in a day and age where I think there is a lot of animosity between older generations and younger generations. And if I'm being honest, 
It feels like it's something for our generation, but when I hear the stories going back in time, I think it's always been the way. Something about this document being 2,000 years ago tells me I'm right on that one. Um, But we have an issue in our culture where you have younger people who tend to look down on the older generation. Uh, We have the situation where we tend to hide the older generation out of the way. We don't want them living in our house like they used to, so we stick them off into over 55's living community um, to to enjoy being there. Um, We have nursing homes and care homes where people can often feel like they're neglected. Um, and, and within the church, it's easy to look at an older generation and we start saying things like, well, what do they know? They're old, they're stuck in tradition, they're stuck in their ways. Uh, but at the, uh, in the exact same situation and, and, and flip-flop, we've got the older generation who tend to look down at the younger generation. What do they know? They're lazy. They don't respect their elders anymore. They've given up on all the values and they're chasing after the things of the world. And we have these two groups of people that rather than loving each other and respecting each other the way we're supposed to, are criticizing and complaining uh, toward each other. Uh, And so as Paul is explaining to Timothy what the relationship within the church is supposed to look like, he starts with this foundation of mutual respect. He's looking at Timothy as a younger person and saying, okay, when you look at the older men in the church, You've got to look at them as father figures in your life and treat them with that level of respect. The the word he uses in here, he says, don't rebuke them, or or the word uh, in here is like, don't uh, beat them up and go on at them about the things they're doing. Exhort them and encourage them in the way that Jesus has called them to live. So young men in the church, you're supposed to be looking at the older men in the church as father figures, granted, There are many people in the room that don't have good father figures, and so you don't know how to look at them as a good father figure, but we're supposed to honor them uh, as men who have life experience, who have wisdom, who have gone through the trenches, um, who have suffered and gotten through it. The men in the church are here because they've lived for 40, 50 years with Jesus, and they've proven to us that they know how to walk with Jesus over time. They have life experience, they have longevity, they have suffered, but the older generation does not understand the times that are coming. And that's the reality of one generation to the next. The older older generation, what tends to happen is the things that you have been comfortable with through your life are not there anymore. Technology has changed, places have changed. I hear stories all the time. Hillsborough used to be a farmland and now look at all the houses they're throwing everywhere. Um, There are values that are changing in society. It is easy because of your discomfort with the way culture has changed to be grumpy and bitter about the culture and to be rude and dismissive to the younger generation who are a product of that culture. So what we have is an older generation who have life experience and who have wisdom, but who don't understand the times and aren't necessarily effective at reaching them. But then we've got a younger generation. Young people in the church, please remember, we are young and inexperienced. We don't have the life experience of the people around us. We may think we know how to follow Jesus lifelong, but we've only lived a fraction of the time that some of the people in the room have walked with Jesus. We're inexperienced. We've got a lot to learn. We've got a lot we need from the people around about us. But here's the thing that we have. We have energy that the older generation doesn't always have. 
we have the capacity to go out there and do some of the things that the older generation wish they could do, but are going, I've done my time, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, And we understand the time that we're living in and know what the people around us need, and we have our eyes on the next generation and what they need, but I tell you, one day is coming, I already feel it with my kids and some of the young people in the room, uh, where, where they're talking about things, and I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. I've watched my kids... I remember getting my first Nintendo with my six buttons, like up, down, left, right, A and B. And now I grab someone's like PlayStation controller and there's like 25 buttons and you go, you go to play and they're like, well, just hit Z and L and, and you're like, is there an instruction manual I can study? I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't know the things that the younger generation are so used to. Um, There are some people my age in the room who are well acquainted with that because you've got much more practice than me with that controller. I need to get one in practice. The issue of the passage is mutual respect. Are you looking at the older generation and seeing the value that they bring to the world, for one, but this community that we're a part of? Are we honoring them in their longevity of life? Are we honoring them in their wisdom? Are we honoring them in the contributions they've made lifelong? Um, Or are we dismissing them? Are we honoring the traditions that they have held uh, and, and that they delight in? Or are we dismissing them and write them off as irrelevant uh, and, and letting the people in the room feel undervalued. Equally, if you're in the older generation in the room, are you looking at the young people in the room and seeing them as the future of the church? Are you looking at them and seeing that these people have energy and capacity and vision and understand how to reach the people around that you do not know how to reach? Do you understand that many of them have broken families that they've grown up in and they don't know how to relate to someone older? Um, And do you understand that when you're dealing with someone younger than you, actually, this is not just younger than you, this is anyone. People don't want your advice unless it's asked for, right? None of us want that. There there is a tendency to look at someone younger and say, I'm going to tell them how this should be I know some people in the room, your kids are not talking to you because this is how you've lived your life. They're fed up hearing you insert your opinion in their life without being asked. And so they say, I'd rather just not be around you. Some of us has to step back and say, you know, I'm going to hold back and I'm going to speak when I'm invited in order to restore the relationship that has been lost. A call to mutual respect. I think the other thing that's fascinating about this opening part of the passage that we often don't think about, you expect Paul, culturally, you expect Paul to look at Timothy and say, respect the older men and treat the younger men as brothers. Period. But Paul goes on to say, treat the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters. And we forget that this is written in a day and age where women didn't have status in society. Women didn't need to be given the respect. They should have been given the respect. But culturally, women were less than the men. and You respected the father. You didn't need to respect the mother as much. And that was never a biblical principle. One of the commandments didn't say honor your father. It said honor your father and mother. Romans is going to tell us that we're supposed to honor one another, treating others better than ourselves. Hey. 
This passage is, is countercultural for the day and age it was written because Paul, as a young pastor, is told to give the, the women in the church the same honor that he's given to the men in the church. And again, this is one of these places where some people give Paul a bad stick and say that, that he had a, a bad attitude towards women. But these are the passages that show no, he didn't. He's elevating women in the community to be given the respect uh, that they are due. So this passage begins, this whole section that we're looking at begins with this call to mutual respect. So the question is, how well are you doing at respecting those other demographics? If you're young, how well are you doing at respecting the age and the wisdom in the room? If you're older, how well do you do at respecting those who are younger than you and perhaps less experienced? I do think it's interesting that he doesn't say Treat the older men with respect and treat the younger men as sons. Treat the older men with respect and treat the younger men as brothers. Treat the older women with respect. Treat the younger women as sisters. And when you look culturally, there was a certain thing that a father could demand of a child that he could not demand of his sibling. There's a different type of relationship that happens when we move from a parent-child to two adults in relationship together. And so uh, elder people in the room, it's not your job to become the parents of the younger people in the room. It's your job to look at the younger people in the room and treat them as siblings in Christ. What happens differently when you look at someone that's 40 or 50 years younger than you and rather than see them as a young whippersnapper that has no idea what they're doing, you see them as a sibling in Christ that is worthy of respect. So the first call is the call to mutual respect. The second call is similar, and I'm calling it the call to give honor. And verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. The Bible upholds what we can call a culture of honor. Honor is as much about the attitude of our heart toward a person as it is about the actions that we have toward the person. Uh, when I honor someone, I esteem them internally. Uh, again, Romans 12, 10, I consider them better than myself is honor. And one of the biggest ways that we see and know that we're walking in honor is the language that we use when we talk about someone. Is the language we use, praising them to people, celebrating their worth, is it gracious and forgiving or is it critical and condemning and constantly sharing and celebrating their flaws? If you're someone who's, uh, if you're someone that walks in a culture of honor, you make every effort to make sure that the language coming out of your mouth to people and about people is edifying. Uh, I know because of conversations, there's many people in this room that are very far from a culture of honor in the way that they live because the language that they use is constantly critical and constantly complaining, constantly celebrating the faults of others. And I know there's people in the room like that because I can be just as guilty of that as everybody else, right? We're all guilty of that. Um, as a church, Paul wants the church to be a culture of honor. And that means that here at Arise Church, we want to be a culture of honor. Uh, and one of the ways that, that I practice this, which I don't know if you'll have noticed, but typically when I have someone come up on the stage, especially if they're not from our church, I start by celebrating the things about them that I admire 
and appreciate and love because I want this to be a place where people come, they feel seen, known, loved, and honored in our midst. We want to be a people who honor. Honor is not just to be reserved for those that we like. First Peter is written under Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero is taking Christians and he's sticking them on poles and setting them on fire to be human candles lighting the city. One of the worst persecutors of the church in terms of the violence done against them. Peter writes to the church, honor the emperor. (laughs) Really? Honor that political leader? When they're so opposed to the things of the Lord, I should honor that political leader. As a church, we're supposed to be a culture of honor, not a culture of tearing down. How are you doing at using your language and your actions to honor the people around you? Um, Because we're reading through this in sections, you don't always see some of the organizing principles of the letter. If you were to sit now and read through all the way through chapter five and into chapter six, The word honor actually organizes what we're looking at here. Your translation may not show it. The NIV certainly doesn't. Um, And Daniel's preaching last week as as it goes into uh, verse three, talking about widows, give proper recognition to the widows who are really in need. The the word is honor, the word is teme. Um, And this is a word that that talks, uh, it can talk about how we esteem someone, but many times in scripture, the word honor is, is to do with monetary compensation. So give proper recognition, both uh, attitudinal and supply to the widows who are really in need. Then he, uh, here where we are in verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church, they're worthy of double honor. So a, a double respect or, or double provision. And then as we go on into uh, the next chapter, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. And it's the same word, honor. So under this banner of mutual respect, Paul's addressing three different groupings uh, that Timothy is going to be interacting with within the church that all deserve honor, um, much of which involves the financial implication of it. In this section from 17 to 20, there are four ways here that we're supposed to honor our elders or at this point, he, he's kind of twisting it to spiritual leaders. Um, so, so the call to give honor, here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to give them respect. So as an elder is worthy of double honor, there is a lot of debate. I spare you so much wasted time by sharing some of this stuff. Uh, When you read these commentaries, there's like 20 reasons why we think this means what it does. There's 20 different alternative interpretations to this that I wade through and I save you from all the junk. Um, So you can can thank me later. Um, But with double honor, there's lots of debate about what this means. Does it mean that that these elders should be given twice the amount of money as the others? Um, Some people who read it believe they're talking about these are elders who have a job uh, and they're earning an income in the job that they have, but then the church should also supply them some income so that the double honor is two incomes. Uh, Some people look at it and think it's it's the the verbal honor of their position plus financial compensation, uh, and there's a host of other views in there as well. I think it's the latter, um, that when he's talking about giving double honor, it it may be that he's giving them double money, and if that's the case, treasurer, pay attention. (laughs) Double my salary? No. Uh, I'm joking, right? You get that. <laughs> uh, and I know Kim would never do it. Not because she uh, doesn't like me, but because she's a good steward. 
Um, but in here, there's, there's these four ways that we're called to honor our elders. One of them is respect, the esteem that we give them, the way that we speak about them. Um, part of it was the compensation because these people were giving themselves to the ministry of the word and to teaching and it takes time. Uh, and in, in uh, any church context, if you want people to be able to give more time to the work of ministry, then you have to compensate them to be able to do it, which is why we pay uh, church uh, staff today. The third way that they want to honor the people is by not entertaining accusations against them. We could call this giving people the benefit of the doubt. We could call this watching and guarding how they are spoken about. The passage says, those L- uh, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. So he's looking at a situation where you've got these people you're trying to figure out, are they worthy of leadership or they've been put in leadership and someone in the church has an issue with them, uh, doesn't like something they've done, uh, has a different opinion on how it should be done, was offended in a moment by how something was done, misunderstood a situation, uh, and, and that happens all the time in the church. He's saying, when someone comes to say those things to you, we're supposed to be operating in a place of mutual respect and honor. So rather than entertaining the issues that they're bringing, we choose to speak positively. Uh, You shouldn't be speaking negatively of that person. When it comes with evidence and when it comes with two or three witnesses, then we listen because the, the fourth part of honoring an elder is by being willing to correct them when they're walking in sin. Um. And that's not just a thing for elders, that's a thing for the church as a whole that I think we misunderstand a lot in our culture. To correct wrongdoing in someone else's life is how we honor them. We often think you're dishonoring someone by pointing out their their brokenness or pointing out something they're doing wrong. We honor them by saying, here's an issue. Rather than talk to everyone else about it, I'm gonna come and address it with you. Uh, We honor God by making sure that leaders in the church are living the way that they're supposed to be. We honor Christ by by making sure the leaders in the church are living the way that they're supposed to be. We honor the church community um, by making sure our leaders are living the way that they're supposed to be. Um, And so... This, uh, Timothy is the one being given this command. So what this is not is Camille going to Christian and saying, hey, I've got an issue with one of the elders. It would be Camille coming to one of us as elders and saying, hey, there's an issue with someone else here and I see this problem in their life and then we're gonna, we're gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. We're gonna investigate issues and then we're gonna address it. And if they're found to be walking in sin, then they will be removed from leadership for a season for the purpose of restoration. And if not, then we will look at the person that misunderstood and say, let's help you understand what went on in that situation. And please don't be bad-mouthing someone inappropriately. That's our job as the leaders in the church to guard the church, to guard the reputation of the people in the church. And it's so easy today in a cancel culture that we live in to tear people down unnecessarily Some people have done wrong, um, but we don't tear them apart and tear them down. We walk in a culture of honor and walk alongside them into that place of restoration. The call to honor. The third call that we see in this passage, Daniel addressed as we look to elders, is the call to discernment. We saw it with widows. It's the job of the church to look at the needy in the church and discern who has people who can help them, uh, who 
genuinely needs the uh, help? Who is being lazy and who is willing to contribute? And we're called to discern when it calls, comes to leadership. You know, I'm just gonna say, when it comes to everything, it's about discernment. Um, and if you're around me for any length of time, you'll know this word matters a lot to me. Uh, and discernment is core to what we're supposed to do as leaders in the church. And it's core to how we're supposed to function as believers in the world. As Timothy's trying to figure out, like, who do you put in leadership? How do you honor the people? How do you deal with an accusation against an elder? The call is discernment. Paul says to Timothy, don't be hasty and laying on hands. It's easy for people to walk in the door and be like, man, this person seems awesome. Let's give them authority. It's easy to have people come forward and say, hey, I want to lead. And we go, okay, let's let them do it. Um, but Paul says, don't be hasty. Um, the district leadership here said, when you take on this role, don't be hasty. They actually told me at the beginning, you are forbidden from adding anyone to any leadership roles until you know them and you've learned them and then we'll give you permission when we can start shifting those things. Um, because it takes discernment, you have to know people. Um, and it's key to leadership in the church. It is easy to react to things rather than discern. It's easy to use opinions rather than discernment. It's easy to say, this is how we did it before, rather than discerning the will of God. It's easy to say, me and my friends want it this way, rather than do the things that God wants us to do. Um, it's easy to say, you know, I read this one Bible verse, uh, and this one phrase from this one Bible verse means we need to do it this way, rather than discerning the fullness of Scripture and what it is that needs to happen. It's easy to say, that looks too much like the world rather than discerning, discerning whether that's the way God wants us to operate to reach people who are far from him. We've got to operate in discernment in the church. And that means taking time. It means testing people to make sure that they're ready for the mantle of leadership. Remember just a couple of, verse, a couple of chapters ago, Paul has already set up part of the criteria for discerning. Don't be hasty. Here are the elder qualifications. I just want to remind us of them. For people who are in leadership in the church, this is 1 Timothy 3, they're supposed to be above reproach. Above reproach. So in all of these areas of their life, people shouldn't be able to question uh, any elements of this. Fidelity and relationship. Uh, under that banner comes sexual purity. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Are you the kind of person that people can approach? Are you the kind of person that community members want to be around you? Are you bringing people in? Is your house open to people in need? Are you able to teach? It's not enough to be able to administrate. It's not enough to care for people. Do you know the word and are you able to communicate it to people? What's your relationship to alcohol? What's your relationship to anger? How do you go about dealing with conflict? What's your relationship to money? What's the model that we can see or the evidence in the family that you've raised? Uh, how long have you walked with Jesus? What's your reputation with the world outside? Paul was saying, Timothy, don't be hasty because all of these things take time to see. And the, another fallacy that we have in the church, you know, once an elder, always an elder. Because, you know, once you do these things well, you never get, get them wrong ever, right? 
We're not the kind of church that if someone in eldership gets something wrong, we're going to tear them down. Um, there's room to make mistakes and we want to walk with people in the errors that they make. But there are certainly seasons where in leadership, uh, we have to step out and step aside to get the healing and the care uh, we need in order to be healthy to step back into ministry. I've, I've got a buddy right now that I've been supporting um, who is a pastor and his marriage has just ended. Uh, and this morning, the church is communicating to, that they're communicating to the church that he's stepping out of ministry for the next probably year um, in order to heal, in order to step back in to lead the church. And they're bringing someone in who is walking alongside in that process, not because he's unfit for ministry, but because he needs time to heal. And I think one of the problems with churches and why churches uh, stop growing and move into decline is we have the same people in leadership for a long time. Uh, we have people with issues that are being overlooked because, well, we need elders, so it doesn't matter what their issues are, we're just going to keep them here. Um, the Bible is very clear. Paul is extra clear that if there's one place, well, is it the one place? There are two places we have to be really rigorous as a church. One is that we're standing on the truth that God has communicated. And the other is that the leadership of the church is living what the Bible asks of them. And we have to hold people to a high standard. Uh, and you're called to hold me to a high standard in this. Um, but in order to figure this out, it requires discernment. You can't just look at a list. You can't just have a little interview or have people fill out a form. We have to examine people's lives. Um, I want the people in leadership here to be people that you can look at and say, these people are worthy of double honor. These people are worthy of respect and they're modeling to us how to follow the way of Jesus. Discernment is necessary for leadership as he goes on to say, because our sin and our brokenness are not always immediately apparent. Don't be hasty and laying on hands. Why? Because some sins are obvious and they get found out and they're judged now, but some others are hidden and aren't figured out till later. In the same way, some good deeds are obvious, but there are others that are being done in secret, but they'll eventually become known. So don't be hasty in this process because there are people in the room who have sin issues that are obvious and so you're going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to put them in leadership. But there are people in the room that aspire to leadership and they have hidden sin in their life that disqualifies them from, from leading the people of Jesus. There are people in the room who wouldn't look obvious to you as, as candidates for leadership in a church because they're doing so much good in secret that you don't realize how much impact they're having on this community and the people around. It doesn't always present the way you expect and so we can't be hasty and we have to be rigorous and discerning in who we put into leadership. The final call of the passage is a call to self-care for Timothy as a leader. This is one that's important for all of us. I think the concept of self-care has uh, been elevated in our culture recently. But Paul says to Timothy, don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And then this interesting little piece, stop drinking only water. For you only water drinkers in the room. 
Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. It's not the one we're used to hearing. Should I just skip over that verse and go somewhere else? Stop drinking only water, use a little wine. What's going on here? Some people think it's, this is a medicinal instruction. Timothy has some stomach issues. You're in a day and age where they don't have like clean water necessarily. And so Timothy's drinking water and the water's making him sick. And so instead of that, have wine because the alcohol in the wine is gonna kill off the bugs in your stomach because we don't have other medicine. Is it medicinal? Some people, some commentators look at this and think it is um, a little bit of Dutch courage. You're having all of these stomach issues because of the anxiety of leadership. And all of those, the, the people are not living the way they're supposed to. You're having to confront men twice your age who are not living the way that they're supposed to be. Um, you're trying to figure out how to navigate these, el- these widows. Some of them are trying to work the system. Some of them are really in need. Uh, there's false teachers round about teaching false doctrines. There's persecution against the church. So with all of these things going on, just take a little bit of wine, settle your stomach, and deal with the issues that are in front of you. Again, I'm presenting, I'm presenting what scholars say. Um, some think that Timothy has taken a Nazarite vow, um, and so he's abstaining from all alcohol as part of that. Uh, and, and, and part of things like a Nazarite vow is what we call asceticism. So you become so disciplined in your faith that you're essentially punishing yourself uh, and, and deeming yourself holier than everyone else because you only eat bread and you only drink water. You never watch a movie. Um, and we become so strict in ourselves. So, so some commentators think Timothy has become so ascetic that he's actually becoming ill because he's fasting too much and not getting enough food. He's reduced it only to water and so not getting some of the other sustenance that he needs. So, so Paul is saying, so drink a little wine. The end of the day, it doesn't matter which one of those it is. Paul is saying to Timothy, you've got to take care of yourself. In order to lead the people of God, you've got to take care of your body. You've got to make sure you're healthy. And there's wisdom that doesn't always look the way that we would think wisdom is. And so just remember this. This is Paul, the apostle, writing the Bible, telling someone to have a glass of wine. And yet so often we think that stuff is evil. Go back to chapter 3. What does he say of elders? You've got to have a right relationship to alcohol. What does he say in Ephesians? Don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. There is a right relationship to alcohol. A wrong relationship to alcohol can look like too much. And a wrong relationship to alcohol can look like that's the devil and I've got to avoid at all costs. And I'm going to give that an authority that it shouldn't have. We have to have right relationship to these things. And if you have to err somewhere, are on the side of none. Leading a church is stressful, right? Uh, our den- I, I love being part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, our denomination really encourages self-care for our pastors and our elders. And so they encourage us to meet with spiritual directors. They provide counseling services. Every January, there's a, there's a pastor and spouse retreat that is a Uh, over on the coast to bring pastors and spouses together to get input and ministered to and cared for. Um, There's the gift that that I get here of uh, the leadership team allowing and you graciously allowing me to bring in other preachers so that I can get a week off. There's vacation days. There's all sorts of things that we do for self-care. And this is 
Paul to Timothy in his role in ministry, but this is me to you in your role as ministers of the gospel in all areas of your life. Self-care is important. Some days you need to take a day off work and rest. Some days you need to stay home on Sunday morning and take a nap instead of turning up at church. Just don't repeat that one. Some days you need to set some boundaries and not go to the family event that's stressing you out. Some days you just need to splurge and go to the spa. Some days you just need a little tiny bit of wine to settle your stomach. Take care of yourself. I don't know if you think about the role of a pastor or an elder. Um, (laughs) I'm like, I think Timothy's health issues are probably because of the stress of the role if I'm being honest. Um, In my role, and I know other people in leadership see this, I meet with pastors all over the city. Um, There's such a, like, Together PDX is such an amazing network of pastors coming together for mutual support in the city. And we need it. Um, There's a number of pastors that I'm walking with right now that are going through some really difficult things in their life and they need support. Um, Leading a church is stressful. I and the leadership, like we see, I, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna put on you guys. I'm just gonna see me. I see everything that is broken in our church and I feel the pressure to have to fix it all. I see and I hear all of the needs in the church and I feel the pressure to have to meet all of them for every person. I see all of the brokenness in your lives. I interact with it in lots of ways. I see, the, I see the brokenness that you see and I see brokenness that you don't see. And I feel accountable to God to help you walk in that into a place of wholeness. And that's just Monday morning. <laughs> um, it's stressful. I see conflicts between people in the room. And how do we help make that happen? During pre-service prayer this morning, thinking about the number of gifts that are in the room that need to be activated in the work of the kingdom, and yet we're still not where we need to be to be able to release everyone to do the things that that need to be done. I walk around our neighborhood and I see all the people that don't know Jesus, and I feel responsible to help us uh, get those people into saving knowledge of him. Uh, and that stuff is all on my shoulders all the time. So when, when uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, I think he's understanding the stress of ministry uh, and the call uh, to care for yourself in the middle of that because that is a heavy burden and it was never intended for one person to carry alone. Uh, so if it looks like I'm carrying it alone, I'm failing at least at part of my job. Um, but I say that not to make you feel sorry for me, but to say I see those things Uh, And I know that you see many of those things. And I know that in all of the areas where you work and minister and in your families, you carry those weights. You see the brokenness in your family. You see the brokenness in your workplace. You know all the things that you want to do to reach your neighbors but aren't able to do it at this moment. And you carry that weight. So again, I think this call is important, the call to self-care. Are you caring for yourself and caring for your body so that you're best equipped and in the best state of mind to be able to do the work that God is calling us to do. So four calls in the passage, an overarching one, the call to mutual respect among all the generations within the church. 
Then there's the call to walk in a culture of honor, being people that elevate and edify rather than tear down the people around us. We're called to be people who walk in discernment, especially in the areas of the truth of God and then who stands in leadership but people who are always learning to hear the voice of God, to discern what he wants for us as a church and in our life and as we walk out into the world. And then finally, the call to self-care, that as we do all the things that God calls us to do, and as we lead the church effectively, that we are responsible with ourselves and our own bodies so that we're best equipped to do the things that God is calling us to do. Um, so at this point in the life of our church, listening to Paul, this is what he's telling us today. If we wanna be the kind of church that Paul wanted to see, that Jesus wants to see, that God wants to see in the world, then these are the things that we've got to strive towards. So let me pray and then give you a question to discuss. God, you want the church to be family. And there is so much work that's involved in being a healthy family. God, and we live in a culture that tells us that our a nuclear family is the most important and that if we invest all our attention there, that's all that's needed in the kingdom. But that's not what the Bible tells us. It tells us that that's our primary focus, but that we're supposed to extend that to the other people sitting in the room. So would you help us to be a church of mutual respect where every generation is given place and honor where everyone is seen? God, would you help us to be a church uh, where when people come in, they don't hear our negative words, but instead they hear us speak positively about other people, that we would guard the reputation of the people sitting in the seats next to us and of the leaders over us. God, that you would help us to guard our tongues uh, and to correct the bitternesses that underlie uh, the ways that we speak. God, would you help us to grow in discernment that we would know your word and its nuances, that we would be sensitive and attentive to your voice and bold and acting it out. Uh, God, that we would learn together how to know what is right and wrong uh, because we're so in tune with your spirit. And then God, would you help us to step into self-care, that that we would be uh, uh, careful with our bodies and our minds Uh, not because we just want to feel good about ourselves, though that's part of it, but so that we are the healthiest we can be to offer hope and wholeness uh, and eternal life to the people that you've placed around us. Uh, God, all that means is we need you. God, open our hearts and our minds to you, we pray. Amen. So, uh, Grab, grab someone next to you, preferably talk to someone that you don't normally talk to. If you are sitting at a table with family, I want you to move around a little bit and talk to someone else this morning. But, but here's the question, is there anything in your life or your speech that needs to change to be a person who gives honor? Uh, where are you at in being a person of honor? And then we'll worship.